Blog Talk Radio. The 613th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Beyond the 90 at beyondthe90.substack.com. And, of course, locally at Red Bull News Network. But, as always, this show is dedicated to the American game for you, the American soccer fan. Chat room is open. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Well, as we are continuing on here on the Voices Fire American Soccer Show, CONCACAF Nations League uh, quarterfinals second leg going on tonight. Currently in the second leg, Canada and Jamaica are scoreless in the second leg, and Canada leading that on aggregate two goals to one. Uh, second leg also underway between Mexico and Honduras. And, of course, Honduras leading that one on aggregate, two goals to nil. So we'll try and keep you updated on what's happening in CONCACAF Nations League. And, of course, that match will start later at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 8.30 Central. So hopefully it looks like with Canada Jamaica, this one should end before uh, the other one should get underway. But tonight, on my introductionary monologue, congratulations, New Mexico United. They were able to have their motion passed by the Albuquerque City Council by a margin of 7-2 to two to build their new stadium on the grounds of the Balloon Fiesta Park, north of downtown Albuquerque. Their first attempt was not successful, but their second one was, and now it's going to be another jewel of an American soccer stadium for the game in the United States. Congratulations to New Mexico United owner Peter Tresvani. Uh, Obviously, it is an absolute joy to see this club and this owner to be in position to do something spectacular and to add on to add on the list of professional soccer stadiums in the United States, the continuing addition of having soccer stadiums, facilities meant for the game anywhere and everywhere in our country. This is the most important thing that must be discussed and must be talked about because, once again, it helps not only the community, 
It also helps the club. They control the stadium. They receive the 100% of the gate in tickets, drink and food sales, merchandise sales. They can set off their own time to start their games and not worry about having anything interrupting them. And once again, once this stadium is built, as great of a location and a minor league ballpark baseball stadium, Isotopes Park is for minor league baseball and for the temporary usage it has been for New Mexico United. It's about time that the council agrees not just with the New Mexico soccer community, the Albuquerque soccer community, the United Soccer League championship community, and American soccer as a whole. And now, now, everyone in New Mexico, in the state, and of course in Albuquerque, is going to see the real, true potential of a first-class stadium and what home field advantage truly will be. Now, I'm not doubting the fans of New Mexico United who have been there since day one that they are absolutely yelling, screaming, singing, chanting. And I will also say it, waving those flags around and supporting their side. But now they have a better opportunity for a better home field advantage. Now comes the big, big moment for New Mexico United to really sink their teeth and construct this stadium the way they want it done. There's already a rendering on USLChampionship.com. It's in their news department as well. You can go to New Mexico United's website and check it out. And it looks like to me, this could be a setup kind of like Petco Park in San Diego, California, where the Padres play. Even though it's still a baseball stadium, they'll still have, they have a grassy knoll behind center field with a big screen so that people can watch the game while on the grassy knoll behind center field. And the way that this rendering is looking, three-quarters of it will be seats, section for the diehard supporters, and then a grassy knoll on the opposite side of the stadium where people can sit and watch the game happening. There looks like to be standing room only as well. And you know what? I like it. Quirkiness in my soccer stadiums. It doesn't have to be the traditional way. It doesn't have to be the way that Red Bull Arena looks or uh, the way that uh, the Q2 in Austin looks. Lynn Family Stadium in Louisville, Kentucky for for Louisville City. 
This is what we're talking about here, folks. And this is what I've been talking about. Stadiums meant for the game. And I understand that even though we have facilities that are being used for multiple sports, I understand. But once again, doesn't it feel good when you don't have to worry about sliding into a patch of grass that's covering the infield? Isn't it about time that whether you're the home team or the visiting team, that you don't need to have dirt burns on your legs and your knees because of bad grass covering the infield dirt. It's great for a temporary situation, obviously, but it's not a sustainable one. And that is why Indy 11 is building their downtown stadium just outside of Lucas Oil Stadium, which is the home of the Indianapolis Colts. And now New Mexico United is joining the party. And that's a happy day. That is a happy, happy day. And once again... When we have these teams continuing to build soccer stadiums for their clubs, for the sport to be truly legitimate, not saying it's not, but for the feel of it, to finally say that we've made it, and to finally say, Once every single club in every single professional league, even in the amateurs and the semi-professional leagues, once we have these stadiums available, once we have these stadiums available, then we can truly knock down the door, down the wall, and say, now we can go towards promotion and relegation. Now we don't have to worry about clubs losing their life like what happened with San Diego Loyal. Now we don't have to worry about the poaching of the other clubs to the other leagues that are not using sporting merit. This is my argument. This has been what I've been talking about This is what I have continued to express to all of you. Are you ready to make a move like this right now? I would say no. And once again, I'm not saying this to say no forever, no to the idea, no, I don't want it. I'm just saying we need some patience. We need to have some patience before We make a move like this. And even if the USL does go for promotion relegation within themselves, it would still be a failure. Because I don't think it would work just for them. Because everyone else wants to join the party. And that would mean US soccer would finally wise up and make that move forward. Outside of that, though, 
outside of that, let me just say this. I'm happy, once again, New Mexico United has made a big and strong move to finally getting accepted for building a soccer-specific stadium. I don't care how big it is. I don't care how small it is. I don't care if it's a medium-sized stadium. If they can control it, they own it. Excuse me. If they can control it, they own it. And once again, this is a happy day. Because it's not just celebrating an MLS club or a USL club. This is celebrating the game in the right way, the positive way, the number one thing that we must have, soccer-specific stadiums. I don't care what some of the naysayers are going to say to me. I don't care about some of the extremists that are going to be poo-pooing this idea. The truth of the matter is this. It has to be done. It just has to be done. Because if it's not going to get done, well then what are we doing here? If it's not going to be done the proper way, then what are we doing? All I'm telling you guys is this. Is that once every club in every professional league finally has a home to truly call their own, no more athletic field stadiums, no more minor league ballparks to be borrowed, no more stadiums that the clubs do not own. When they finally own their stadiums, It's not just a win for that community, for the players, for the club, for the area, but for the entire sport as a whole. I have a great show for you tonight. Joining me first things first, this gentleman covers Memphis 901 FC and USL Championship. He's also covering the game for World Soccer Talk. Joining me from Bluff City Media, Mr. Lawrence Dockery, who covers Memphis 901 FC. Lawrence, good evening, and how are you? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for thanks for reaching out and having me on the show. Oh, thank you for taking the invitation, and welcome aboard, and hopefully you'll be back on more times uh, when you're able to. So let's talk about this 2023 season and, of course, more with Memphis 901 FC. Since they came into the uh, into the league, obviously, they've been a pretty solid club. They've made the playoffs, I would have to say, most of the time. They finished fourth this year. I think that's probably one of their best finishes in 2023, unfortunately falling to Louisville City in the conference quarterfinals through penalties. What did you think of their season so far? Uh, Well, the season this year, I'd say, was probably kind of a mixed bag. Um, They were, you mentioned that they finished fourth, and uh, that is, I believe, probably their second best finish. Uh, It's hard to quantify their 2021 season, because if you remember, that was like a 
the scheduling was kind of goofy because of COVID, and there were like divisions. And I believe 9 11 C in 2021 finished third uh, in the Central Division. So I don't know where that stood in the in the context of the Eastern Conference. Uh, but last year, 9-1-SC finished second in the Eastern Conference, uh, just missed out uh, by maybe four points behind Louisville City in first. And this year, obviously, finished fourth, got a home playoff game, as you mentioned, unfortunately, against Louisville City, fell on penalties. Uh, and that was, uh, that, was a, that was a game where 9-1-SC got the ball rolling 30 seconds into the game and took a 1-0 lead. And, you know, you thought, oh, oh wow, this could be happening. And then you remembered, oh, yeah, Louisville City's been to eight straight Eastern Conference finals every year of their existence. So uh, you were going to be in for a fight and ultimately you know, came up just a little bit short. But like I said, the season as a whole, kind of a mixed bag. A uh, lot, lot of stuff to like, a lot of stuff to not like. And I think depending on your opinion of the organization as a whole, uh, you know, there's some people who think they do a great job with everything, and there's some people that don't do a good job with anything. Uh, so it's, it was kind of a Rorschach test. I feel like this season you could probably see what you wanted to see. Um, they were they were very streaky at times. They, like they started off the first however many games they were winless, and then there was a stretch where they went 12 games unbeaten. And then there was a stretch in July. They went the whole month of July without a win. I want to say that was six, seven, maybe eight games. Um, so, you know, there was a little bit of back and forth. They had a good run in the U.S. Open Cup. You knocked off Atlanta United. Uh, on the road, so you went to you won two games in the Open Cup this year, and all in all, you know, like I said, pl- plenty to like, plenty to dislike, and uh, the, I'd say probably um, probably a little bit better than uh, I personally expected that this year was going to be, considering that Ben Pierman departed to be the manager at the Charleston Battery. Yep, and we all saw what uh, he did over at Charleston this year, uh, getting to the final and unfortunately losing to Phoenix uh, Phoenix Rising through penalties. And, uh, yep, look, it, when you get the penalties, it's always a crapshoot. So there's mm-hmm. not much more you can say or do. Um, let's talk about this season so far. Uh, I mean, the attendance issues, like you were saying, there's like been some good, there's been some bad. The attendance issues, I would say, this year started off pretty strong. Uh, just a hair over 4,000 to start the season over at AutoZone uh, Park. And then probably somewhere down the middle, as you said, they were having a bad losing streak. It dwindled down a little over uh, 2,200 and then uh, a solid finish to go back up. But, uh, you know, what what is the issues right now with this club attendance-wise? Because even in their in the reports, uh, especially the ones that you were filing, um, they started off in their inaugural year over 6,500, and five years in, that's been reduced to half. What has been the issue with Memphis so far on the attendance issues? Yeah, so th- this past year they played uh, 17 home games. Uh, excuse me, 18 home games. That's 17 regular season games, one playoff game. The average over the course of those 18 home games was 3,455. That is. Uh, the lowest in team history. As a matter of fact, it's 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 gotten it's gotten worse every year. Um, 2019 was a fabulous year. And obviously, when you're when you're the new team in town, you're the shiny new toy. You are going to, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that show up just to see what the deal is, right? And they had 18 home games, and that included USL regular season, a US Open Cup game, and an exhibition against Pachuca from Mexico. Um, 
So 19 games, your average attendance was 6,564. Then in 2020, the season opener was really the only game we got to play that year in front of uh, you know real people instead of cardboard cutouts. And uh, that was uh, the day before the day, I'd say probably about two days before the game, they said, okay, Tim Howard's not just the sporting director, but he's going to be playing this year too. And so that, that only home game in 2020 where you were able to actually have fans in the stadium, they got 8,571 people, which is either number one or number two in 901 SC history. Uh, then, you know, this is, uh, I, I had a conversation uh, with, with somebody else in the Memphis media scene, uh, I'd say probably about three or four weeks ago, where you know when we were both of the same mind that the COVID shutdown really hurt 901 SC more than just about any other team in town, uh, because the you know that you they went from uh, you know they they had to run it with a skeleton crew, and uh, they that those numbers have not yet come back up, and they're finally just this year starting to get like enough people to actually work an event where it's not just chaos all the time but you know the attendance keeps dropping every year which is super frustrating because the team is getting better every year you know the first two years for 9 were not good on the field they just weren't um and that's that's to be expected you know you're a new team you know not everybody is global city where you are where you just show up and are instantly awesome all the time um so you go from 65-64 in 2019, 85-71 for the one game in 2020, and then the next year you drop 53% to 4,075. 2022 you drop another 5% to 3,886, and then 2023 you drop again another 11% to 3,455. So you're talking, you know, like you said, attendance has been cut in half since the debut season for 901 SC, and you know, there's an old saying in Memphis, and I'm, oh, I've always debated the truthfulness of the saying. Uh, there's an old saying in Memphis that says Memphis will always support a winner. And usually what that means is people, people will support the Tiger basketball program if they're doing well, uh, is the way I've, I've taken, taken to mean it. Because what I don't want to see is they're not, you know, lifting trophies just quite yet, but they've been a very good team for the last three years. Three straight playoff appearances, a couple of runs in the Open Cup. Uh, you know, you finished. You were the number two team in the Eastern Conference last year. That's a pretty damn good season, and the the numbers just aren't there. Um, now, part of the the biggest thing is, you know, there's little things. There's not enough coverage from elsewhere in the in the local media scene, in Memphis. Uh, even over the summer, when I don't want to see the only game in town, uh, I can personally tell you anecdotally there were. I'd say half the nine I want to see games this year. I was the only person in the press box covering the game. Um, so that, that obviously doesn't help. Then you've got, you know, there's, there's obviously it's been, it's been well documented here in town um, that, uh, you know, the, the perception of crime in downtown Memphis and whether the perception matches the reality. Um, I think it does more than, more than people want to admit, you know, that's, that's not something nine I want to see has any control over. I also noticed that it doesn't prevent people from going downtown, you know, two blocks away from AutoZone Park for Grizzlies basketball games and Tiger basketball games. So I don't think that excuse really holds, holds too terribly much water. The biggest thing that it all comes back down to is, is marketing. Uh, marketing for 901C is completely and totally non-existent. Um, I feel like I am probably – I probably do market, more marketing for 901C than they do for themselves. Um, and mm. they, if, 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 if they're listening, and I know for a fact that they listen to what I have to say and they read what I have to write because they've 
uh, attempted to dissuade me from saying things after after games when they've lost. Uh, so, you know, they may not like that I'm saying this, but uh, it, it really what it boils down to is if you do good stuff, I say nice things. And if you don't do good stuff, I say mean things. It's it's not a very complicated concept. And I cannot be – I'm just a dude, and I work for a larger media company, yes, but it's a relatively new media company, and I can't do all this by myself, okay? And yeah. what I did with this last article for for Bluff City Media, which everybody can go check this out on Bluff City Media if you click on the 901 soccer tab and scroll back uh, about a week or two, about how does not Memphis 901 FC attendance get fixed? And I decided this can't just come from me because if if they already don't like what I have to say, they're just going to completely and totally discount it. And I also didn't want it to just be a hit piece, right? I didn't want it to no, just be, not. hey, hey, their attendance sucks, ha, 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 ha. No, that's that's not what I wanted it to be. Um, it's it's going to be, yes, the attendance is terrible, and how does it get better? What do we need to do to make it better and, and boost it up? And so I I decided to crowdsource. And over text or email or Twitter or Facebook, in-person conversations, I got a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life saying, y'all got to market. Because I, there were soccer people that I knew that said, we don't see billboards, we don't hear radio ads, there's nothing in the paper, there's you know, there's nothing. Um, I talked to people that I know that are sports fans that wouldn't go but aren't necessarily soccer fans, and they're just like, we have no idea when the games are, we don't know if they're doing promotions, we don't know who they're playing – we don't, you know, they don't. One one guy uh, mentioned that, you know, all the semi-pro teams in town, like the Memphis Redbirds, or in the old days the Mississippi River Kings, which were a uh, minor league hockey team that used to draw very well. Um, you know, they all had those little wallet schedules that you could put, you know, that you could put in your wallet, and it was a little like a you could fold it two or three times, and, and it had the season schedule on there. Um, they don't really have the 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 uh, benefits apparently for season ticket holders. I've been told are. Uh, they seem to come and go, as one lady put it. And so it's just like there's a lot of little things, but the big thing is the marketing or lack thereof. It's just it's not there, and you know there you, you have to. It's it's one of those things like Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire, right? Help me help yeah. you, and you, you like you gotta give the people something because at the end of the day, you know what? It may cost money to market. You know that that's you know. You got to spend money to make money, and I got bad news for you—not you specifically, but you being not on one FC—that if you don't want to spend the money on marketing, that's fine. Um, but pretty soon you're going to end up with a thousand people a game at AutoZone Park, and the league's going to step in and say, "All right, no Moss, we're not doing this anymore. You're done." And let's not forget, a while ago they did announce that they're going to build a stadium at the same time. And I mean, if they're not going to market it now. They can't just wait till they build the new stadium. They got to market the team now so that they can get ready to be in that new stadium. And I don't know if you've heard anything else with that report, if that's still going on or not. Okay, so two two points about that. A, just over a year ago, like the two or three days before 901 FC's home playoff, inaugural, very first ever home playoff game last year against Detroit City is when that story broke that – 901FC was being included in this uh, big ask by the city of Memphis was going to the Tennessee state legislature asking for money for four different stadium projects in Memphis. I had a big write-up for World Soccer Talk about it. You can go check that out if you want. Um, uh, I had a one-on-one sit-down interview with Craig Unger, the, the president of Memphis 901FC, and 
those two playoff games last year were the second and third largest crowds for Memphis 901 FC. They got a bunch of free advertising out of it, right? And, uh, you know, that's where that's where we saw the cooperation from local media. That's where local media covering the team, even if it wasn't particularly inter- – even if the other outlets weren't particularly interested in the actual playoff games – um, there was still discussion about 901 FC. It's like, hey, we're talking to 901 FC coach Ben Pierman. Here's 901 FC president Craig Unger. Oh, and by the way, they've got a home playoff game on Saturday. Um, and so you had 6,000 people for each of those two home playoff games last year. And the bad news actually just came out today. Oh, no. The mayor, the mayor of Memphis said, yeah, there's not enough money for the soccer stadium. Sorry. Um, oh. So – Unless 901 SC now now here's here's what I'll say the writing has been on the wall for probably six months about that okay I mean there was discussion that so the the state of Tennessee gave the city of Memphis um, 350 million dollars in cash I don't remember where it is that they got that there was like some post COVID surplus or something like that that's that that's all above and beyond my head and uh, takes a, a lot more time and energy than I'm willing to spend digging into. Uh, right. No, local government fine. politics. Um, but you know, essentially, the city of Memphis went to the state asking for money for renovations to FedEx Forum, home of the Grizzlies and Tigers basketball teams, renovations to Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium, home of Tiger football and the AutoZone mm-hmm. Liberty Bowl, and the Showboats right. in the USFL, and yep. renovations to AutoZone Park and a new soccer stadium for Memphis 901 SC. They wanted six hundred right. and something million dollars. Uh, not not so coincidentally, I think they went they timed that ask for a couple of days after the state of Tennessee gave the Tennessee Titans two billion dollars uh, to yes, build a new exactly. stadium for the Titans. Um, so we're yep. like, hey, we're asking for less than half of that, and the state said, here's 350. Y'all figure it out. So mm. right off the bat, it was uh, very obvious that. Um, also yeah. worth noting that the grid, the Memphis Grizzlies have the second richest owner in the NBA, and he has gone hat in hand to the Memphis to the city of Memphis crying poor, uh, asking for <laughs> you know the full three hundred fifty million dollars. And All just right. today, Fred Smith, former C- founder and former CEO of FedEx, parachuted in as he has so often yep. and threw an extra fifty million dollars in there. So it looks and sounds like both the Grizzlies basketball arena and the Tigers football stadium are going to get done because there was real concern that only one yes. or the other was going to get done. And obviously when it came down to yeah. the two big dogs in town, the writing had been on the wall for some time. So my hope, and I have not heard mm-hmm. anything positive or negative on this front as I, I reached out to 901 FC today and was told they have no comment, no statement at this time. And right. uh, so perhaps if I could see the writing on the wall over the summer and before, hopefully my my my, my positive thinking tells me that 901FC also saw this writing on the wall and has yeah. been attempting to explore other avenues. But as far as the, the amazing mm-hmm. renderings, we're going to blow up the eyesore that is the Mid-South Coliseum that is so bad. I mean, it's still got asbestos in there. Uh, it's The doors yeah. have been closed since 2007. We were going to blow it up. Yeah. We were going to build a soccer stadium. We were going to get the gold cup. We were going to get the college cup. We we're going to get all this stuff. And yep. Uh, yep. Yeah, that dream is dead. That dream, as 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 it was initially proposed, is now dead. Um, the 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 mayor straight up said today, "Yeah, no money. Sorry, get lost." Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah, that's um, terrible. So 
That's just terrible. And, and it sucks because I, I allowed my imagination to run wild. Um, you know, I've been covering, mm-hmm. I've done probably just about every 901FC game for the last five years and uh, have been yeah. able to branch out and do some other soccer coverage here in the Memphis area at the at the University of Memphis and with the indoor team that we had that just that just went on hiatus. But, right. um, you know, one of the things that I had, you know, that Craig Unger on the record had said, he's like, look, Louisville City is the model. We've been to Louisville. They've got all this stuff, and, and they've got a great yep. stadium. And uh, yep. I I've personally have been fortunate enough to travel to Louisville City two different times to cover 901 FC games. And yeah. um, I don't think it's a coincidence that Louisville City having their own stadium has allowed them to not only be able to have their Open Cup games at home, which one 901 FC couldn't manage this year, all three Open Cup games were on the road, uh, but also right. – they had their first two club friendlies. Uh, they played a team from Germany, a team from Mexico, if I'm not mistaken. And then uh, I will actually next month be traveling up to mm-hmm. Louisville to cover the NCAA College Cup semifinals and national championship game. So getting your own stadium is what allows you to to have those kind of events. And that was something that Craig Unger was emphatic about when I interviewed him a year ago. He's like, yes. That's like we're well we're aware of that. We're we're, we're going to call Concacaf. We're going to get Gold Cup games. We're going to call the NCAA, yeah. the NCAA tournament. Yeah. We're going to get conference tournament yeah. stuff. We're going to get this. We're going to have a women's like it was all on the table, and the city pulled the rug right. right out from under them. Um, and, and honestly, uh, you know, she, the main culprit really probably is the state of Tennessee for you know, giving the city of Memphis half of what they asked for uh, after you know they gave the Titans two billion dollars. But um, you know, again, hopefully. They saw what I saw and what everybody right. else saw and have right. something else, you know, on uh, because, you know, there, you know, there were concerns that a number of 901FC fans have expressed concern to me, and I haven't been able to allay their fears that, you know, my 901FC might not be much longer, you know, what with USL's official, unofficial official proclamation that by the 2026 World Cup, you're in your own, you're in your own stadium or else, and um, you know again that's that's one of those it's never like it's we're not sure that it's set in stone but the writing's kind of on the wall and granted San Diego loyal was a little bit of a unique situation and that MLS is coming to San Diego um, but USL is I I believe is not screwing around um, so hopefully not only to see has seen all of these writings on all these different walls. And is has, has backup plans in place, but perhaps what yeah. would concern yeah. me is that last year I asked him, and Craig right. Unger, point blank on the record, yes. said there is no plan. Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you know, all I can say is I'm sorry to hear that. And uh, but listen, Lawrence, thank you very much for joining me tonight. I really do appreciate it. And uh, listen, just keep on doing what you're doing, and hope to have you on again another time. Thank you so much. All right, thanks, man. Thank you. And once again, that is uh, Lawrence Dockery from Bluff City Media, uh, 901 FC of Memphis, and uh, just great for having him on the show. And now we get to talk to the man who finally is his story of flying to American Samoa to turn that ragtag bunch into a national team wonder team, and that is, of course, the one and only 
Thomas Rongen joining me about Next Goal Wins, now the docu-series, excuse me, the documentary movie into a real movie. Thomas, thank you for your time. It's precious to have you on. And my goodness, what is it like to have the actor playing you? Of course, he played a younger Magneto in the X-Men movies. <laughs> Pretty amazing. I, I finally... I get the answer to the question that we post each other at a bar or whatever. You know, who, who, who you think should be playing? And I get the answer. It's indeed Michael Fassbender, uh, which is uh, which is pretty pretty cool, actually. It really is. I mean, I as soon as it came out this past Friday, I went straight to the movie theaters and I just died laughing. I died laughing with all the funny scenes. Obviously, it's not funny when, you know, uh, back then Australia put 31 goals past the uh, American Samoa um, in World Cup qualifying. But still, though, you know, the, the hard work you put into it, I've seen your documentary movie. I remember seeing it a long time ago. And I was grateful to mm-hmm. watch that and have the honor to see that. Just explain to the audience all that hard work to get all those players to come together and to bring back uh, the goalkeeper that was a part of that, uh, that terror of 31 to nil to bring him back and to get ready for that first qualifier against Tonga. That had to be something special for you. No, w- w- without a doubt, uh, taking the worst team in the world, which they were in the FIFA rankings, 204, I think, out of 204. The distinction, as you told, you know, the 31 nothing, and not having won in two decades or scored a goal. Um, so I knew I was up against it, but I think my foundation, quite frankly, uh, since the NASL folded, and I said, you know what, I'd like to stay in this country, uh, taught languages, coached eight- and nine-year-old boys and girls, became a high school coach, college coach. So, you know, I, I work with uh, poorer levels than MLS or, or U.S. men's uh, national teams. So uh, it wasn't a huge hurdle for me. You know, if you look at the four components, technically I made them a little better. Tactically I rearranged a few things that that really helped based on – video I'd seen, but also based on video of opponents. And, you know, done the, the, the physical side. They, although they're big Samoans, they're known for their rugby and their American football, they weren't fit to play 90 minutes. So that's something I was able to solve in, in, in three weeks. But the biggest strides were clearly mentally. You know, how do you turn a, a losing team, a team that literally goes into a game going, they beat us by 18 next time. If we can keep it under 15 this this time, that's progress. <laughs> so that, that's basically the mentality. And through a lot of on-the-field and off-the-field team building, um, I looked in their eyes the day of the game against Tonga when they announced the 11. We talked about how we're going to play. Uh, I said to myself, they believe they can win. And that was a, a huge victory for me, not even knowing that they would win eventually. That turned into the 2014, as you said, documentary, and it eventually, you know, took Taiki Watiti turned into a uh, a movie. So, uh, yeah, quite a journey. Uh, incredible to be a part of it. Um, 
so yeah, a wild ride, both professionally and, and personally. Let me ask you about the director, of course. You know, when he called you up, was he going to make this into a sort of, uh, you know, yes, it's a serious moment because, look, football is serious. We all know this. We, You love the game. I love the game. We all love the game. But did you, were you told it's going to have some comedic moments? And did you... Did he tell you who he had thoughts of hiring to become the actor to play you? Yes, and, and we've got to understand, too, uh, and that's basically in, in the same phone call, first phone call by Watiti, when he when tells me that Fassbender is going to play me in his next uh, movie. He wants to go back to his Polynesian roots. He's from New Zealand, from a uh, Maori tribe, so... He says, I know my people that live on the margins. But he also said, uh, I'm going to give you an early warning. Uh, I'm going to be effing playing around uh, with this documentary, bro. That's what, he, that's what he said. So a lot of things have changed from the original documentary to the, the, uh, the, the, the current one. But I think, um, you know, he does such a great job in, in uh Harnessing, you know, the 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 the, the spirit basically, because today's sports docs they hyper focus on the pains of greatness. Next goal wins is a reminder, I think, of of a, of spiritually a simple game, uh, and what it means to just basically kick a ball around for the love of uh, kicking it around, you know. And and I, I think he he does a great job at uh, at at doing that. And I must say, Michael Fassbender, you know, as Thomas Rungen, the, you know, the eccentric Dutch uh, coach, uh, you know, he, he does a, a brilliant Thomas Rungen in his first probably comedy. Um, so top to bottom, brilliant. I, I love it. Although uh, not all is necessarily true because he said, I might as well tell people to watch the documentary. So, Things changed, but the outcome in a underdog story, which this is obviously, uh, is that there will be winners, and that includes myself uh, as well. No, absolutely. I think you did uh, show everyone that you were a winner, not just for yourself, but w- the the greatness that you gave American Samoa at that time to feel positive about themselves. And yeah, they were down a goal, obviously, in that first match. But they came back because not only they believed in themselves, they believed in you. And, you know, I've always remembered you managing, whether it be a club side. I don't remember you managing, obviously, internationally. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You did, yes. Uh, the, I believe it was the under-20s you managed one, one tournament uh, for the U.S. But I mean, you know, I've always had that belief in you, Thomas, that you're able to give those players, no matter if they were youth players or men, that any time you gave instructions, they would see it out. Yeah, and I I think over time, um, I was a stubborn Dutchman early in my coaching career, and I became... Uh, emotionally intelligent and, and if you look at a lot of young coaches in all sports uh, they have an emotional intelligence meaning that they can 
you know, they can rap with their, their, their players, uh, so to speak. Uh, and, and the players notice that as well. Uh, the, there become natural connections which happen with this team very early individually and, and collectively because I kept, as a Dutchman, we're liberal. I kept a very open mind. I embraced their culture. And, and so at the end, they embraced me. As they said, you're the first Palangi, and that means white man, that has accepted us for who we are and have accepted also Jaya, the transgender, which most white former coaches did not uh, uh, respect uh, respect that. So, uh, yeah, wherever you go, if it's winning the MLS Cup in 1999 with uh, DC United, uh, the messages are, are, are simple and are, are, are the same, but delivered probably... Uh, differently um so yeah i can be very proud of the fact that we my teams are always very high scoring teams entertaining football and um dedicated with a great drive to to win and making making you know your 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 city whatever proud and i noticed very early as much as they've lost <laughs> and not not won uh games in the last 10 years um, you know, they were very eager to do their country proud. And that moment came against Tonga. And then for me, obviously, uh, for the goalkeeper that I brought back out of retirement, I gave up 31 goals to say, I just spoke to my son. He thinks now I'm a hero because his son thought he was a failure giving up uh, all those goals. Uh, those are beautiful yeah. moments. Or the winning goals actually scored. And he changed the narrative of the end a little bit um, in the movie. And, you know, that's, that's fine. But we're actually, we go up 2 nothing. We don't go down in the documentary. And we win 2-1 right. eventually. And the winner, the winner in this one is, you know, is, is Jaya. Uh, and she didn't score a goal in, in the real, uh, you know, in the real life uh, documentary. But a 17-year-old high school American football player that I picked out of a high school final that had not played soccer ever in his life. I teach him because he was so fast, and I had a pretty good central midfielder that could pass a ball, and most opponents played a high passive line, so I knew that a lot of through balls with some pace would help. And he scores the winner, actually, at 17. And then fast forward 10 years later, uh, he calls me, coach him in uh, Miami, uh, and that's where I live. I, I'm now the starting safety for the Oakland Raiders. I mean, you know, you can't make oh up Oh, my that God. Stuff. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I have two more questions to ask you, and then, uh, you know, thank you for doing this. I really do appreciate it. Um, yep. When the filming was done uh, with the Waititi, did he call you in to, you know, observe the different scenes? Were you able to travel back to the South Pacific to watch them film this and get, you know, get your perspective, or you were back here in Florida, in the U.S.? Yeah, I was, back, I, I was supposed to uh, fly, because what Titi said, you know, Fassbender probably needs a little bit of help on the soccer-specific uh, things, you know, passing or, or whatever he wanted to, to do. And then he called me two days before that and said, you know what, I just spoke to Michael Fassbender. And he studied you for two months, and he's so oh, zoned God. in that he doesn't want any any uh, uh, you know 
influences. And I told him, I get it. You know, I've, I've, as a player, prepared for finals. And then my surrounding people know, don't talk to me for the next two days, in, in particular not on the game day. So I, I, I did understand as much as I wanted to go, obviously. Um, and I'm telling you, without any advice, without ever having to meet Michael Fussbender, again, he does a pretty good uh, Thomas Rungan. No, he really did. I thought he portrayed you to a T. He was really brilliant. And my final question is this for you. Out of all the victories you have achieved, either as a club coach or a national team coach, head coach, I should say, is the one with American Samoa defeating Tonga, is that your greatest victory ever? Yes, but but not just for the sporting uh, achievement of that team, but also my, my own spiritual uh, journey. Um, I'd lost my, my daughter when she was a freshman at VCU uh, mm. in 2004. And I had a very tough time uh, dealing with that. And, and I finally was able, surrounded by these beautiful people, going with them to church, which I normally don't do, but becoming more spiritual, I finally was able to let go. And I just broke down. I cried and and guilt was gone, and I can think of her with a smile on my face. So combining that with the athletic success, it's by far the most rewarding in my whole career as a player or as a coach. That's fantastic to hear. And let me also say congratulations that that story and that documentary film came back on the silver screen of every movie theater across this country. Thomas, listen, I do appreciate your time. I know it's very, very, uh, you get, you're very busy right now working at CBS Sports uh, HQ and everything else going on in Miami, including Inter-Miami Radio. Thank you for your time, as always. I hope to have you back on again uh, to talk more football with you. Thank you for your time, sir, and Congratulations once again on this wonderful story and that wonderful journey you had in American Samoa. Thank you, Daniel, and and thanks for having me on. Take care. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thomas Rongen, ladies and gentlemen, as he talked about next goal wins, finally on the silver screen to talk about that wonderful film and that wonderful moment that he had to get them back to at least a strong victory in World Cup qualifying for the 2014 World Cup qualification cycle to Brazil. They did not get out of the opening round, but still, though, they played better. Just unfortunately couldn't get through, but they did a job, and it was wonderful. I want to thank my guest tonight, Lawrence Dockery, Bluff City Media, and once again, Thomas Rongen on his documentary film, now a regular film, Next Goal Wins. My name is Daniel Feuerstein. Thank you very much for listening to me tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and have a good night. Bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.